0: amplified welcome back to black and privileged in america podcast this is your host abena and i am here with a very special guest today the libertarian candidate for iowa governor mr rick stewart he was a guest on a previous episode And we invited him to come back to just tell us a little bit about how the campaign trail is going and what he hopes for the state of Iowa. Just to reintroduce you to Rick. Rick was born in Postville, Iowa. He attended Iowa Public Schools through the eighth grade and then won a scholarship to attend Phillips Academy in Andover, Massachusetts, where he graduated in 1969. He attended Menlo College in Menlo Park, California for a year and then came back to Iowa for a summer session at Clinton Community College. He actually failed there, but his mom enrolled him into Iowa State University without his knowledge or his permission, but it turned out for his good. And hopefully he'll tell us a little bit about that. Rick took a job as a carpenter's helper for a few months before moving to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. He spent a lot of years there, built his family there and a home and a really nice life there. So, Something happened that Rick decided to jump into politics, and we'll ask him about that as well. In 2016, he ran for Lynn County Sheriff on the Libertarian Ticket. In 2018, Rick ran for Secretary of Agriculture on the Libertarian Ticket. In 2020, he ran for U.S. Senate again, this time on the Libertarian Ticket. And now it's 2022. Welcome, Rick
1: Stewart. Well, thank you very much, Abhinav, for uh, letting me come back again. I, I hope that means that uh, we're starting a long-term relationship, <laughs> and I'll be back in the future, too.
0: Well, uh, you're always welcome at Black and Privileged in America.
1: Well, I totally appreciate that invitation. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, on the campaign trail, and there's less than four weeks left. And let me tell you this, for a candidate, that is the most intensive four weeks of the year because we are we have a thousand things to do and we have time to do about a hundred of them (laughs) so it's triage triage triage
0: so are you still door knocking are you doing meets and greets what does this last four weeks look like for you
1: the door knocking has retired the meets and greets we have a few more a lot of it is answering newspapers that want to know more about me so that they can publish it in their newspaper a lot of it is trying to get your advertising uh, under control it's not as easy as it sounds. I don't have a professional ad manager. Uh, and a lot of it is uh, reading the, the new contacts, uh, the people that write me and say, uh, what are you, uh, what do you, what's your thoughts on this particular issue or that particular issue? And a lot of it is just trying to make sure that my daily life is taken care of so it doesn't impinge on my political life. And it's not stressful. I don't really get stressed out, but uh, it's extremely uh, trying to jam pack a lot of things into an extremely short time period.
0: So you, you alluded to the balance of managing a campaign and meeting people and responding to media inquiries and then the, the pull of family life. How do you manage to balance that?
1: Usually I'm a little lackadaisical. I uh, am relaxed. I do a lot of reading. I work in my garden. I visit with friends. But uh, this time of year, you look at everything that needs to be done before November 8th, and you do it as quickly as you can, and you get it out of the way. I'm actually more caught up than I usually am because if I got one or two days behind like paying my credit card bills or something like that, I'd never catch up. So I, I... an intense amount of attention to the things that, uh, like, like doing my laundry <laughs> uh, and washing the dishes and then just get right back to the desk and start uh, chomping away at the computer and then doing trips like this to Des Moines to do an interview with a lovely podcaster and uh, all <laughs> Why, that thank kind you. of stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, I'm not uh, traveling so much anymore on the parades. That was the emphasis of my campaign this year. I, I've done 50 parades.
0: 50 parades. Wait a minute. 50 parades
1: all around Iowa.
0: Wow. So tell me about that. Tell me more. What's the parade life like?
1: Well, it's pretty good. I have a pickup truck that pulls a very colorful trailer. It's all a campaign trailer.
0: I've seen your trailer. It's
1: fairly dope. It's pretty decent. Yeah, I appreciate the compliment. And uh, so, you know, I have to drive there sometimes on the other side of the state. It's a three and a half, maybe a four hour drive. Uh, you wait for an hour because you line up an hour in advance. And usually if I can, I have a driver. So I get out of the truck and I walk along just one side and I shake hands with as many people as possible. I also try different techniques. Sometimes I try and give away as much campaign literature as possible. Depends on how big the parade is. The last one I was at over in Altoona, uh, I I watched uh, Jenny the libertarian candidate for house, Jenny Cadle. Yeah. And she had a whole crew that was giving away literature. And I noticed that because I was a little bit behind that, everybody was reading her literature. And I said to myself, I think I'll try that next time. So you're always experimenting a little bit. You think you got the recipe down and then something happens and you do it a little bit differently. Um, Sometimes I don't even have a driver because I haven't recruited a libertarian or even a non-libertarian to drive the truck for me. And so I just drive the truck I'm looking out the window I'm waving on the left and then I'm waving on the right and uh, usually they last about an hour maybe 45 minutes if it's a short parade and you're done and you have to drive three and a half hours home.
0: Wow so parade life and people are reading the literature uh, when I think of parades and the long line of vehicles that are going through the procession there I always think about the candy that's get, that gets thrown not necessarily political literature. So I think it's pretty telling and fascinating that people are reading the literature. Times are changing. Uh,
1: I think, I think maybe they are certainly the the kids, their number one attraction is the free candy. I I will say this. I refuse to give out free candy because candy is one of the worst things that ever happened to the world. Sugar, basically. Uh, It's the most addictive drug in the entire world. It uh, causes an enormous amount of illness and death. So I just don't do it now that I run against the grain on that because everybody else is, you know, they're oblivious to the fact that how dangerous it is. And that's not my major message to in my campaign, but as a person, I just don't give anyone candy ever.
0: Well, I think that's a really nice segue to, you know, another issue that's been pretty top of mind for a lot of Iowans and that's cannabis and legalizing that here in the state of Iowa Now, you put together a really uh, bold ad recently that is airing on YouTube, and it has to do with Iowa not legalizing cannabis. Can you share a little bit about that ad?
1: Sure. The ad itself reflects my personal position that the drug war is the worst thing that America has ever done. In the history of America, the only exception would be the Civil War, which killed millions of Americans. We didn't kill anybody from outside of America.
0: Right. So I'm going to play that ad for our listeners. And uh, then we'll come back on the other side and talk about it.
1: Sounds good. What the hell, Kim? Here I am in Illinois, only a few miles from the Iowa border, and they've got legal cannabis. If I buy weed on this side of the bridge, I'm buying it from a crook. If I buy weed on that side of the bridge, I'm buying it from a reputable business person. Our laws today in Iowa put people into rape cages because they smoke marijuana. You're going to lose your college scholarship. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your kids. You're going to lose everything because in Iowa, we think cannabis is a gateway drug. Well, gateway to what? How about Barack Obama, Kamala Harris, George Bush, his friend Bill Clinton, Joe Rogan used some too, I heard. It's a gateway drug to the White House. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's not a gateway to anything other than illegality. How come I can grow corn, but I can't grow weed? They're both plants. There's a lot of weed over here. There's there's weed growing in the ditches. God put it there. Why do you think you're smarter than God, Kim? Farmer wants to grow corn, let him grow corn. Farmer wants to grow weed, let him grow weed. So when's the drug war going to end in Iowa, Kim? Easy answer. The day I'm governor. I'm Rick Stewart, and I approve this message. I, I still laugh every time I hear it.
0: I saw that ad and I literally had to rewind and watch it again. Because I think you say some really powerful stuff in that ad. You say, if a farmer wants to grow corn, let him grow corn. If a farmer wants to grow weed, let him grow weed. Tell me about this. Tell me, fill fill the, the listeners in on what is wrong with Iowa in terms of cannabis and what you want to do to make it right?
1: Well, what's wrong with Iowa is that we bought into this whole concept of a drug war. Uh, It's incorrect. It's not factual, but we still own it. And right here in Iowa, there's been people who've tried to talk about legalizing it, but our current governor is completely against that because she thinks it's a gateway drug. My, my explanation for that is well, um, The cannabis isn't the gateway. Uh, Everybody that wants cannabis in Iowa can get it. I don't care how old you are. You can get it if you're 12 years old in middle school. You can get it if you're 80 years old in a nursing home, but you can't get it legally. And so that turns you into a criminal just to possess it. Cannabis is a natural plant. It's been with the human family for thousands of years.
0: Yeah, it's a natural plant. And I've even read somewhere, I cannot remember my source, But I read that it was on the tomb of King Solomon.
1: That's very possible. It's definitely been dug up in archaeological digs from people who lived 5,000 years ago. They had a bag of it. Uh, They were soldiers, and they carried a little bit in their bag. I don't know exactly why. I can imagine why. It's uh, it's a useful drug. You probably don't use it before you go into battle. Historically, the thing that you give armies before they go into battle is liquor because it makes them— vicious and, and not thinking and willing to kill people. Whereas cannabis, of course, probably does the opposite of that. For most people, it relaxes them. and Yeah,
0: it, I would imagine they would treat pain too with cannabis.
1: Cannabis is extremely effective for many kinds of pain. It's not the same kind of pain reliever as an opioid, but it's very good for many people. They find that it uh, deals with the pain that they have quite successfully. And it's relatively inexpensive. You don't need... Um, Doctor's prescription in most states that have even have it legalized, and it it, it definitely works. Uh, We've had uh, hundreds of millions of people around the world have consumed cannabis safely with very few side effects other than hunger.
0: So, besides knowing that there would be lines and lines of people um, who would be customers at any dispensary operation or that that uh, cannabis would be consumed widely, likely, in Iowa. What are the what, what other benefits does legalizing cannabis um, give to the state?
1: Well, it completely eliminates the entire cannabis illegal underground. So those people don't ever have to worry about being arrested again. Uh, I can go into a store and buy it. I don't have to go onto the street and buy it. I can trust the person who sung it to me. I don't have to worry about them being a narc it um it it probably not a lot more people will smoke we've done the research since other states have legalized and yeah there are additional people that use cannabis if it's legal but these are all casual users uh, the, it, it turns out that ch- uh, children actually use it less once it's legal so this is a safety measure for our children legalize it and then they'll use it less the people who consume large amounts of cannabis are already consuming large amounts of cannabis because it's easy to get. You don't, It doesn't have to be legal just to make it easy to get. They're already doing that, and they're probably going to remain doing that if we legalize it. The state could tax it if they want to. Of course, I'm not a, f- a big fan of any kind of tax this would be an excise tax. I think that's not the best reason to legalize cannabis. We will let people out of prison. We will let people out of jail. That's a real savings. People think sometimes that if you throw somebody in jail and throw away the key, that's the solution to a problem. Yeah, that's the solution to the problem that you had too much money in your pocket and now you don't anymore. It's expensive to put people in prison. It's 35, now $40,000 a year just to put somebody in jail in Iowa. So that's not a good solution to uh, solving our over incarceration rates. That's part of the reason of we have overincarceration in Iowa. The other thing is is that a lot of times it, I don't I'm not going to say that the police themselves are systemic racists. might be true, might not be true. I think it's a different discussion. But I will say this: we know that in Iowa, we arrest, a hugely disproportionate number of people of color for cannabis. Yeah, you can get rid of that. Just don't make it illegal.
0: Hmm. Well, yeah, that's exactly what a lot of our listeners are going to 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 wonder. There was a KCCI report that came out the other day that stated something we all know is that black people in Iowa are seven times more likely to be arrested um, than their white counterpart
1: just just that's just for cannabis.
0: That's just for cannabis. So immediately by, are you saying by voting for you for governor that that problem goes away?
1: It goes away on the first day because I've promised that uh, I am going to pardon every nonviolent drug offender in Iowa on my very first day in office. So if you're in jail, you'll get out. It will probably take a couple of weeks. If you've been arrested in the past and paid fines, I want to give that money back to you because you never should have had to pay it in the first place. We can get racial justice in many ways. There's nothing more obvious and easier to do. And it's free and you don't have to change anybody's mind because that can be hard if we just legalize cannabis. Let's do it.
0: Okay. So that was one ad and that was a really amazing ad. I got to tell you what other marketing or advertising do you have planned in these last couple of weeks of the campaign cycle? Well,
1: I've got two more ads coming out by the same person who made that ad. The one I've already seen is on, oh, no, actually, I've seen them both now. The first one is on legalizing MDMA assisted therapy in order to save veterans' lives. MDMA is not legal, it's part of the drug war. It's not legal anywhere in the country, but it works. MDMA assisted therapy with a trained uh, therapist has a 65% cure rate for PTSD. We have 70 veterans in Iowa every year that commit suicide. If we could, could actually cure their PTSD in 65% of the cases, that's one or two veterans every week that will live.
0: That's such a sad statistic. I mean, first of all, these are people who have dedicated years of service to this country. And to see people suffer who've given so much of themselves is, is terribly sad. And then, you know, I was driving the other day, Rick, and I saw a person standing on the median at, at an intersection with a cardboard sign and it read, I'm a veteran, I need help.
1: It's not just a good, not a good look, it's, it's not a good policy and we're not getting good results from it. We're ignoring the mental health needs of our veterans. We're, we're literally saying we will put you in jail if you are caught trying to use MDMA-assisted therapy. That is inconceivable to me that anybody would stand up and say, that's a good idea. That'll solve the veteran problem. Now, I'm not going to say or claim that it's going to solve every problem, but we know the facts on veterans, 70 a year, one or two a week we have to have a big enough heart to allow them to get access to the medication that will help them. And just by the way, it is going to be legal in a couple of years. It's in the FDAA trials. It's already in stage three. It's already showing excellent, excellent results, but it won't happen for a couple of years. So are we going to stand by and let a couple of hundred Iowa veterans die, or are we going to go to the state house, pass a real quick law, they could do that in an emergency special session right now. We they could do it tomorrow. They might need some notice. Uh, they could start saving start saving veterans' lives at this very moment if they just had the backbone to stand up and admit the obvious. If they don't do it, our veterans die.
0: That's terrible. So, have any veterans groups supported you or endorsed you?
1: Well, I don't uh, seek endorsements, but I can tell you this: there are nine veterans groups around the United States that are all on my side on this, they, the veterans know that this will work. So they haven't mobilized 100% yet, but I believe it's October that is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month for Veterans sponsored by the American Legion. Possibly it's the VFW. It's a very well-known topic among veterans, and they know that MDMA-assisted therapy is extremely effective but they're prevented from getting their hands on it. So uh, if, you know, if I wasn't a candidate and trying to do a thousand things every day, I would be pursuing those groups specifically and asking them to join in my campaign. Of course, my campaign ends on election day, but this issue doesn't end until we solve the problem.
0: Right. So, you know what? I'm vibing with everything you're saying. And just to remind our listeners, um, can you kind of give us the short run of what a libertarian is? Because I think a lot of people hear libertarian and they don't understand they uh, people are so used to the two parties, the two main parties that get all the media attention, uh, Republican and Democrat. But libertarian is a concept that a lot of people don't understand or they can't seem to wrap their mind around it. although in talking to you and other libertarians, I can find resonance in things that you say and perhaps others will too. So Rick, what is a libertarian and what is the libertarian party all about?
1: Well, I'll start at the easiest concept to understand. Libertarians do not believe in using force to achieve your objective. So we have goals, let's just say ending poverty. We do not believe in using force to end poverty. We believe in using persuasion. A lot of people think that if you pass a new law, it will work as intended. We believe that it probably won't because most of those laws require the use of force. Going back to marijuana.
0: Let me, let me back up real quick and perhaps this is where you're going, but when you say use of force, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, if I hit you on the jaw, that's physical force. If I steal your money, that's non-physical force but it's stealing from you and that requires force because you obviously didn't just give it to me of your own free will.
0: So you mean by force you're talking about some type of aggressive act on behalf of the government against citizens?
1: Most of the acts of the government are aggressive acts against somebody. They want to steal from the rich and give it to the poor. Well I think it'd be a good idea if the rich helped the poor more. But if you try and do it by stealing their money, by taxing them, that's probably going to have the, exactly the opposite effect. The, the rich people are going to say, well, I'm not going to help poor people. The government's doing it. That's not what you want to have happen. What you want is a voluntary action by everybody in the entire community, in the entire state, to recognize that there are people who need our help. And they give that help voluntarily. Willingly cheerfully they're happy to do it and they love the person that they're giving the help to the government doesn't do it easily They don't do it inexpensively and they frequently don't do it to the right person and even when they try it usually doesn't help The the right person uh, it just makes the problem worse by asking our government to do things that we'd like to have done But we can't do it all of all of the job ourselves We're actually making it less likely that the job will get done Churches used to be the greatest repository of charity. They took. I remember those days.
0: I do. I remember the days when churches were charitable. Seems so long ago. <laughs>
1: I, I, <laughs>
0: that's a story yeah, for another day. I
1: know, and you know, you're making me laugh <laughs> over there because uh, you know you're you're revealing my age. Uh, which is okay. I don't mind. How old are you? How old are you, Rick? I am a very, very proud 71, and I get younger every day.
0: I hear you. I know that's right. Yeah.
1: The only thing that an old person has that a young person doesn't have is wisdom. And I truly believe that we gain wisdom if we pay attention. We lose things, too. We lose a little physical agility. We might lose a little health, but we gain wisdom. And I'm not trying to say older people know everything. What I am trying to say is I myself know a lot more than I did when I was 21. And I'm so thankful that I know that.
0: Okay. So you said 70, 71? 71. 71. So how long have you been a libertarian?
1: Officially, I was a libertarian in 2012. So 10 years. Before that, I didn't want to join anything. I I just, I'm not a joiner. I'm an observer. Uh, I, I participated in many things, but I, I had never joined any party or movement or anything like that. But in 2012, because the, I, I watched the Republicans and the Democrats politically extremely closely, and I realized these guys, if I can't do better than them, that's pretty sad. I, I, it really gave me the confidence to say, no, I can throw my hat in the political ring and uh, I, can, I can go head to head, toe to toe with the Republicans and the Democrats from all levels, from the president all all the way down to the whatever, dog catcher or city council person, they're not the same. And um, yeah, I can compete. Now, one thing I learned was politics is not a hobby, it's not a sport, it's not a religion. What it is is it's a business.
0: Indeed it is.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a business. And, And because it's a business, there's a recipe for success. Unfortunately, the Republicans and Democrats both have the same recipe. And I want to find a different recipe for success. I want to find out how I can win and the, the people can win without me having to play the game of fear, which is the number one ingredient in the recipe for the, for success by the Republicans and the Democrats, is they try and scare you of the other guy. And they don't really even tell you wh- who they are. They're just trying to make you frightened. So the Republicans, they're, they're, they want to make you frightened that Joe Biden will do something horrible in the... Democrats want to frighten you that Ron DeSantis, or I'm not going to say that name, might do something uh, horrible. Fear is the greatest human motivator, but I refuse to use fear to gain anyone's attention. I want to use love.
0: That's powerful. Love is a very potent ingredient in anything that you're making. Another ingredient for success in this election cycle for a libertarian candidate would be to get... 2% 2% of the vote? Is that right? Does it need to be more than 2%?
1: Well, we have two objectives. My first objective is to uh, win the race and become governor. And my second objective is to get 2% of the vote because that will make libertarians a major party in Iowa. And there are certainly advantages to being a major party. Let me just mention one. This, this is something perhaps your listeners don't know, but you, you cannot get into a debate on Iowa public television Unless you're a Republican or a Democrat.
0: Oh, wow. I did not know that, which was, I was coming to that because I know that there um, has been a debate between Reynolds and Desjier. And I was wondering why your name was not in that lineup.
1: Well, I didn't get invited. And the reason I didn't get invited is because I didn't pass the criteria. And one of the criteria is you have to be Republican or a Democrat. Now, if I get 2% in four years, no, in two years, we will be, a major party in Iowa, and so that then we'll be able to pass that criteria. Four years ago, Jake Porter got invited to the debate because the Libertarians were a major party. But I, I want you to think about this. is so funny. It's hard for me to say with a straight face. Uh, just think about this a little bit. If you're an independent candidate, you don't belong to any party. The only way you will get invited to that debate is if you first run for United States President two years previously and get two percent of the vote. But even then, you can't be an independent. You will have to form a party. It's in their minds that if you're not a Republican or a Democrat, we don't want to listen to you. But that's not true. We know that they don't want to listen to us. But we also know that every Iowan wants to see a debate between the people who are going to be on their ballot.
0: Yeah, it sounds to me like we've, we have some changes that need made. So... Along that same vein, there are those who believe that a vote for a Libertarian or an Independent or any other party besides a Republican or Democrat is wasting their vote. What do you say to those people who think that voting for you would be wasting a vote?
1: Well, the only vote you can waste is the one that you give to a Democrat or a Republican because if you give a vote to Republicans...
0: Shots fired! (laughs)
1: If, if you vote for a Republican, what you are saying is, I'm afraid of Democrats. If you vote for a Democrat, what you're saying is, I'm afraid of Republicans. Those parties have plenty of votes and they don't need yours. But if you vote for me, those parties have plenty of votes and they don't need yours. What, you, what they are afraid of is that you won't vote for one of the two parties. So the best way to get the Republicans and the Democrats to pay attention to you is to vote for a libertarian. Now, I would say the same thing about any other party, but in my case, there's only I'm the only other candidate, so you need to vote for me. If enough of us vote for a non-Republican and a non-Democrat, those two parties, which in my personal opinion, and I know lots of people share this opinion with me, those two parties have disgraced America. Not from the beginning, but over the course of the last 10, 30, 40 years, they have definitely deviated from working for the American people to working just for the people who are members of their own party.
0: Can you give some specifics on that? Can In the last 30 or 40 years, can you tell us ways that Democrats and then Republicans have disgraced America?
1: Well, you're putting me on the spot for specifics, but I'll do my best to remember what happened in the last 40 years.
0: A lot's happened. I mean, we've got uh, a couple wars. We've had a, a, a coup attempt. We've had uh, some scandal. I mean, what what stands out to you uh, that has been disgraceful?
1: Well, war stands out more than anything else because there's an instance where the Democrats and Republicans both join together and celebrate war. That's a disgrace. America should defend our borders, and we should defend our borders so strongly that no invader will dream of crossing those borders. But inside those borders, we have to provide the world with an example of how wonderful democracy is when it works correctly. We have to be a nation that is unified to solve the problems that are out there. We're not trying to... uh, To fight the other party, we're trying to unify together and fight problems that we actually have. You're not going to get a reduction of systemic racism if the Republicans and Democrats are just fighting over politics. Because if that's the issue, then they're always going to disagree with the other side automatically. And we can see that in the vote counts more and more. Everybody that's Republican votes one way. Everybody who's Democrat votes the other way. And you can see that in the Iowa legislature. Right now, the Republicans have the governorship, they have the Senate, and they have the House, and they do really mean things. They don't care, they don't talk to the Democrats, they don't ask them, how can we make this better with your input? They just pass laws that make their base, the Republicans, happy, and they don't care if it irritates all of the Democrats, But. That's not the first time this has happened when the Democrats had control of Iowa because they did. They had the governor, the Senate, and the House all at once not that long ago. They did exactly the same thing. Anytime you're thinking of your party more than you're thinking of the country, you are a disgrace to democracy because we elect our representatives to represent all of us. I will represent 3.15 million Iowans, including the Republicans, including the Democrats, including the Libertarians, and including all of the people who are none of those. That's the way a politician is supposed to act. Of course, we'll have differences, but we should have a discussion about those differences because the goal of government is to reach a consensus that makes everyone content with the decision that comes out. It's not to make half the people unhappy and half the people happy. That is not democracy. It's not government, and I don't want to participate in that.
0: Wow. So, Rick Stewart, do you think Iowa is ready for a libertarian governor?
1: Iowa was ready for a libertarian party in 1857 when we signed our Constitution. The whole state was filled with libertarians. That's who left the East Coast and came to Iowa was libertarians. They wanted freedom. They wanted independence. They wanted responsibility. They wanted a good life created with their own hands so that they could raise their families, take care of their neighbors, worship in the churches that they belong to, and get along with everybody. So think about the, uh, the motto. I was motto on our flag, our liberties we prize and our rights we will maintain. They didn't just pick that out of a hat.
0: I think it sounds pretty lofty.
1: It's extremely lofty, and we had it once. It was 150 years ago. We need to get it back.
0: So in our final moments together, Rick, what is it that you would like my listeners to know? People are listening. They'll they'll be listening to this episode, and they're going to wonder, why should I vote for Rick Stewart? What can he do for me? So this is your opportunity to speak to Iowa voters. Go for it.
1: Well, here's the way I think about it. There's only a couple things you need to know about me. First of all, you need to know my name, Rick Stewart. Because if you know my name, you know my website, which is rickstewart.com. And you know my Twitter feed, which is at Rick Stewart. Learn my name, talk about it, look me up on the internet, Google me. If you like what you see, read it. There's a lot of stuff written about me out there. It's not just written by me either. You can look at things I've done over the course of the last 30 or 40 years on the Internet. I started a company in 1976 that sells herbs and spices to natural food stores all across America. I was the Iowa Small Business Person of the Year in 1992, and I was first national runner-up for U.S. Small Business Person of the Year. That same year. No other Iowa business person has ever achieved that goal. I'm the only one. But you know how I achieved that goal? I didn't achieve it by being a ruthless businessman. I achieved it by building consensus with an understanding that everybody that comes to work, family comes first. Work is always second to family. It was second to my family, and it should be second to everybody's. Or, I'm sorry. <laughs> I built that business by reaching consensus inside the business so that everybody that worked there, either they loved the decision or they understood that it was the best decision we could come up with. But we did a lot of other things there too. We, we focused on the family. My motto is family first work comes later. So if I had an employee that had a family issue, that's all they needed to tell me they could take care of the family issue. They, they might have to leave work. They might have to not come in for a week. They might have to take a leave of absence. Perfectly okay. Family first, work second. And that's one of the big reasons why we got the awards that we got, because that was a long time ago. That was in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, that we understood take care of the family. The work will be there, and it'll take care of itself, because people... People want to work, but they don't want to sacrifice their family for that. They want their family to be taken care of. They're more than willing to go to work. They're more than willing to work for a long time, very hard. And uh, that makes a whole person when you have family first, work second.
0: Thank you, Rick Stewart, for coming back to Black and Privileged in America podcast.
1: It's always a pleasure, and I'm sure it always will be. Thank you very much.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard from one of the candidates of the 2022 Iowa gubernatorial election, Rick Stewart, a libertarian candidate for governor. We have options. You can choose anybody you want, whoever's message resonates the most with you. But the one thing I do know for sure is that our vote is literally our voice today in America we have the ability to go to the voting booth and make a decision. And one of the people on the ballot was here. So I hope you've gained some insight during this episode listening to Rick Stewart. We wish you well. Peace and love. See y'all next time.